This morning we're going to continue in our series that we're doing on the lost parables of Jesus. And we're going to actually talk this morning about the parable of the lost coin. Now I realize some of you may not have heard or may not remember the parable of the lost coin because to be honest, it's the least popular of the three. And I realize that in just saying that, it probably makes this sermon a little less enticing to you. But I want you to stick with me because I think there's a very specific reason why this parable in and of itself is the least popular of the three. Not just because the other two are so amazing. I think there's a, an aversion we have towards this parable, which I'll get to here in a minute. But what I want to make sure you understand first is that this parable is one of three parables that we're looking at in this series. And they were all told by Jesus as three parts of one message. Does that make sense? It's not the beginning, middle, and end. It's three separate stories that are part of one message. And that message actually is best summed up by Jesus' words a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, when he says that his mission is to come and seek and save the lost. And so when you read each of these parables on their own, right, that, that message, it comes through loud and clear, that Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost. But what happens when we, he communicates that message through three different stories is that we see Jesus is telling us something specific here. He's saying, hey, not all lost people are the same kind of lost. Right? There's some nuances there. And since not all people are the same kind of lost, they can't all be found the same way either. Are you guys tracking with me so far this morning? See, some people are lost like sheep. If you were here last week, Pastor Josiah preached on the parable of the lost sheep. And we learned that these sheep, they know that they're lost. That's not the problem. The problem is they don't know how to make their way back. They don't know how to be found. Right? They want to be found, but ultimately they need someone to show them the way. But some people are lost like the coin that we're going to consider today. And the fact that they don't know that they're lost. They don't know that they're lost, but they still hold great value, which means that we must go in search of them. Do you see the difference? Next week, we'll look at the lost son, or what you may know as the prodigal son. And we'll see that those are the ones who, they know they're lost, but they also don't want to be found. They require a different kind of pursuit altogether. So again, with each of these parables, each of them on their own, they're incredible, and they speak to God's heart for us, his pursuit of us. But if we just sort of cherry-pick them out of context, we miss seeing the, the fullness of God's pursuit of each of us. We miss seeing the, the very passionate and, and personal pursuit that Jesus has of each of us. So as you get your Bibles or your Bible apps out, and as you open them up, to Luke chapter 15, I want you to view this story not as a story on its own, but actually as a continuation of the story we looked at last week. If you remember, this is a message that Jesus is giving in response to criticism that's coming from the religious elite of his day. This is essentially coming from a bunch of, of pastors or denomination leaders or whatever the equivalent might be today. These are scribes and Pharisees who are, are intent on following the law down to the letter. And so these people then, they were upset that Jesus was spending time with what Luke refers to as sinners and tax collectors. And so with that criticism, it, it compels Jesus to share these stories, this trio of parables. And he begins by sharing the parable of the lost sheep, right? Where the shepherd goes, he leaves the 99 to go in pursuit of the one sheep that went astray. And if you pay attention carefully to what Jesus does here, he's not just expressing his heart for those who are lost, he's also, he's painting a picture of what our pursuit of them should look like. 
Only Jesus could do this sort of thing, right? I could certainly never do it, but as he preaches, he both shares his heart for the lost and he shares what it should look like, our pursuit of them. So this is just one short story, just three simple verses, but Jesus is going to use it to share his heart, but also to equip and to empower those of us who have been found to join him in his mission. So we're going to look at that story together in just a moment, but first, let's come before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful just to be gathered here today in your presence. What a joy it is, Lord, to love you, to worship you, to be pursued by you. Lord, I ask you would just use this time. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you reveal to us more of who you are so that we might come to know you more and to love you even more deeply? I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. All right, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 8, immediately following the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says this, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus follows the same format that he followed with the lost sheep, right? Something is lost, it's sought after, it's found, and then a celebration ensues. Only if we're being honest, this story isn't nearly as dramatic as the one with the lost sheep, right? I don't have a fuzzy little sheep up here, no cute video like Pastor Josiah had. It doesn't really tug at our heartstrings the same way, does it? But I think if we understand the context we'll see that there is a whole lot more going on to this story. So I want you to stick with me here because there is so much to be found in the context. Let's talk first about the woman. We don't really know a whole lot about this woman other than the fact that she's a woman and she's got 10 coins, right? Jesus doesn't give us any more detail, but the simple fact that she is a woman tells us a whole lot about Jesus because Jesus chooses a woman to be the hero of this story. If you remember back from last week, Pastor Josiah talked about how it would have been a big deal for Jesus to put the shepherd as the hero in the first story. Well, it would have been just as big a deal, maybe even bigger, the fact that Jesus here chooses a woman to be the hero of the story. See, these scribes and these Pharisees, they didn't exactly hold women in high regard. So basically, Jesus is doubling down here. After choosing the shepherd, he chooses yet another overlooked hero. If you studied God's word, you know this isn't anything new now, is it? God relishes in using those who are overlooked to accomplish his mission. We see this in, in Joseph. We see this in King David. We see this all over the place in his word. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians when he says, God uses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So it should come as no surprise to us then that Jesus chooses someone looked down, by, looked down on by society to be the hero of his story. I believe that's a specific word for our kids and for our students who are here today, right? God has a purpose for your life, even right now. Right? You don't have to wait until you're grown up, whatever that means, right? Because we worship a God who loves to work through those who have been overlooked. So again, we don't know very much about this woman, but we do know a little bit about these coins. What we know is that this wasn't just any ordinary coin that she lost, See, in those days, it was customary when you were going through the, the marriage process for the groom to give to his bride this headdress. And this headdress would have 10 silver coins on it. 
The silver coins in that headdress, they weren't just like decoration. This was actual currency. It's called a drachma, and it was worth roughly about a day's wage. So a headdress like this would have pretty significant monetary value, but it also held really significant sentimental worth. Married women would wear this very regularly as a symbol of their marriage, very much like we wear a wedding ring today. So you can imagine now why losing something like this would be a big deal, especially in a a male-dominated culture, an honor and shame-based culture like this one. This was not just any ordinary coin. This would have been very bad news for this woman. So this is the the lens that Jesus' audience is viewing this story through. They know that this story is about more than just this woman losing a simple coin. In fact, this story isn't about a coin at all. Because if you haven't gathered this yet, this lost coin represents a person. That's why Jesus ends this story the same way he does with the others. In the celebration over the sinner who repents. This story is not about a coin. It is about a lost child of God. This story is about someone in your own life who is lost. So I know it may be hard for us to relate. This one may not tug at our heartstrings the same way that the sheep or the lost son does. But don't lose sight of the fact that this story is about a lost child of God. So as we look closer now to the story through this lens, we're going to see two simple truths that emerge through this story. Two simple things that set it apart from the sheep we talked about last week. The first truth is that the coin didn't wander. See, if you remember from last week, the sheep wandered off into the field on its own, but the coin was lost right at home. And this is a word for the Pharisees and for the scribes who were listening, right? Because there may have been very little the shepherd could have done to keep that sheep from going astray. But that coin didn't lose itself. You know, I actually think that's why Jesus chooses an inanimate object here, because it removes any excuse that we have for losing it. Think about it. You can't blame a coin for being lost. But what you can do is you can hold accountable those who are responsible for it. Do you see that? That's what I believe Jesus is doing here. See, on a practical level, this woman, she represents the church, the body of Christ that's been entrusted to care for this coin. It's been entrusted to care for God's children. In fact, if you look throughout the New Testament, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. So there is symbolism happening all over the place here. But the fact that this inanimate object was lost in a familiar place, that tells us all we need to know. This coin wasn't lost because of something it had done. It was lost as a result of the carelessness and the negligence of those who were responsible for it. Jesus is giving a direct word to those Pharisees. But if we pull ourselves back, we're like, okay, how does this apply to our lives today? Because at first glance, it doesn't seem like we are at least as as blatantly careless with the lost who are around us. However, if we took a, 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 a look, a layer beneath the surface, we'll come to find that many times we have the same casual and indifferent attitude towards the lost people among us. Want to help illustrate this point so you kind of understand what I mean. That's where this watermelon comes in. I know y'all have been waiting for this. So this isn't just any ordinary watermelon. Y'all, y'all know what kind of watermelon this is? It's a seedless watermelon, okay? I think my kids are like, they, there are wa- seeds in watermelon? Like, I thought all of them were seedless. Well, most of them are now, but God didn't create watermelons to be seedless, right? He actually, as our loving creator, created one of the most delicious fruits in the world 
with these pesky little black seeds. I'm not sure why he did that, but he did. And if you've ever, like, taken a bite into one of those seeded watermelons, you know just how unpleasant that experience can be, right? They're almost impossible to eat, at least while maintaining any sense of dignity. And so what happened was about 100 years ago, Japanese scientists, they discovered a way to make watermelons seedless. We praise God for those scientists, right? But I want you to notice what happens if I'm to cut into this watermelon. What do y'all see in this watermelon? Do you see the seeds? There's still seeds that are in here. If you've eaten a seedless watermelon, you know there's these little white edible seeds. They're tiny. You can work your way around them. But what would happen if I tried to plant one of the seeds in this watermelon? Nothing, right? Nothing would grow. I could water it all I want. Nothing's going to grow because it's a sterile seed. The seeds of this watermelon cannot and will not produce another watermelon. And unfortunately, this is the kind of Christians filling most churches today. See, what we've done is similar to what's happened to this watermelon. We have re-engineered Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. Do you see that? We've removed all the challenging parts, all the parts we don't like about it, all the undignified things about it. We've created a bunch of comfortable Christians. It's not that the church isn't producing Christians. The church has done a really good job of doing that, I think, especially lately, right? We've got so many tools at our disposal, so many great preachers. We've got technology and social media. It's getting the word out like never before. But we're not making disciples who make disciples. This is why it doesn't add up, right? Do you ever wonder how the word is getting out like never before, yet the church is declining? Well, the church isn't declining because the gospel is being taught within the four walls. It's declining because it's not being brought outside of the walls. This is why we remind you at the end of each and every worship service that church happens more between Sundays than on Sunday. Because somewhere along the line, we started to believe that evangelism is a job just for pastors. Right? That the gospel is to be shared like from the pulpit to the pews and then just kind of stays there. Are y'all tracking with me? That, is that silence just a little bit of conviction in your heart? That's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you because you have a role to play in this as well. Most of us have been led to believe that we're just supposed to welcome the lost once they get here. When Jesus says quite the opposite. Hear these words from Pastor Greg Laurie. I love this quote. He said, Jesus didn't say that the whole world should go to church, but he did say that the whole church should go to the world. Family, this is the mission we have been given. This is the thing that we get to do. This isn't work that's reserved for those who are in a pulpit, those who are influential. Notice that the woman didn't go look for somebody else to sweep her house. Right? She lit the lamp. She swept the house. She searched diligently for this lost coin herself. This woman saw this not as an obligation but as an opportunity. That should be our posture as well. This isn't a have to. This is a get to. Right? It is a privilege to serve God in this way. It's time we shift our perspective, start seeing this as the privilege that it is. Because then and only then will we go from being seedless watermelons to being Christians who produce more Christians. 
And here's the good news, right? That mission actually begins right where we're at. Because in the same way that the coin didn't wander, right, this woman didn't have to go far. Sure, the shepherd had to go off into the hills to go find this lost sheep, but this coin was lost right at home. So I think the simple message that Jesus is communicating to us here is that there are lost coins all among us, right? At our workplace, in our schools, there may even be some lost coins right here in this house. Here's the thing, though. Those lost coins, they have no idea that they're lost. Remember, the sheep knows it's lost and wants to be found. The son knows it's lost, doesn't want to be found. These coins, though, they are lost, and they have no idea about it. I came across a study this week, actually, that painted that picture for me in a pretty powerful way. I thought I would share it with you here this morning. It comes from uh, the Barner Research Group. The study showed that 76% of people in America believe in the existence of heaven. I saw that. I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good, right? It's a pretty optimistic statistic. Similarly, 71% believe in the existence of hell. That makes sense. But I want you to hear this. Of those who believe in the existence of heaven and hell, less than one half of 1% believe that they are destined for hell. I may not be a mathematician, but something's not adding up here. Either there's a, a lot of closet Christians out there, or most people have no idea that they're lost. And even worse yet, they have no idea of what will happen if they stay that way. See, family, this is where the story diverts from the story of the lost sheep. Again, it may not tug at your heartstrings, but what this is telling us, what Jesus is telling us, that the stakes have been raised in this scenario. The intensity is going to be ratcheted up because those who don't know they're lost, they require a different kind of pursuit altogether. And I think that's why Jesus gives us insight into what that process looks like. If you remember last week, the, the shepherd, Jesus says, just, just goes off and finds a sheep. We don't hear about that journey or what he did, but here, Jesus gives us a play-by-play -play of what this woman does. Gives us three very purposeful steps this woman takes to pursue that lost coin. So this is where we start to get a little bit introspective and understand that these are the same steps we can take to pursue the lost coins in our own lives. So let's take a look now at how this woman responds after she loses the coin. The first thing she does, the very first thing, is she lights a lamp. Now, to be honest, this was pretty much a no-brainer because in those times, homes didn't have, like, the overhead lighting like we have in our homes or like we have here. In fact, they didn't even have any natural lighting either. All they had was little holes at the top of the walls. So, like, a little bit of light would come in, but really not a whole lot. So what happened is simple, right? This woman, she, she loses the coin, and she recognizes, hey, I'm working in darkness here. And so she goes and lights a lamp. She's never going to find that coin if she can't see it clearly. And the same holds true of us when it comes to the lost people in our lives. Which is why our first instinct to be to light the lamp of scripture. To look to God's word to help us see. Y'all have heard this reference before. Psalm 19 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. See, we've been given this gift of God's word, not just to illuminate the path we're to walk on, but also to help us see those he's called us to reach. So if you don't want to be a, a seedless watermelon anymore, look first to God's word, and I promise you, he will use it to guide you and to direct you towards those who are lost. And not only that, but he'll use it to encourage and to equip you along the way. Now, that's a very pastor response. I, I get that. Like, read your Bible more often. So I'm going to get a little bit more practical here, and I want to encourage you 
by showing you a picture of what this lamp actually looks like. Oh, they've already got it up there. Look at our team. Fantastic. I think we're going to see a couple of practical applications when we actually understand what this lamp looks like. See, it's going to flow naturally from this. It's a small little portable handheld oil lamp. This is what this woman would have used in those times to find this lost coin. And you'll notice it's going to require some work on her part. And in the same way, finding the lost coins in our lives takes a little bit of work on our part as well. So let's go really, really simple, right? If you're using a lamp like this to find a lost coin, what do you need to do? You've got to hold the lamp yourself, right? You've got to hold it. If you leave it on the table, it's not really going to help you find the lost coin over in the corner over here. That's why we must first be intimate with God's word. You've got to hold it close. The way you can do this is just by spending daily time in God's word, memorizing scripture, meditating on it. So that even when you don't have the, the physical lamp, you've got God's word inside of you. And check this out, too. I, lo I love this. Jesus could have used a candle, but he uses a lamp. And this may be my own like, perspective, so just take it for what it's worth. But if he would have used a candle, that candle would have had a predetermined lifespan, right? You've got a candle like this big. Like Once it goes down, it's out, and the light is gone. But instead, he uses an oil lamp. An oil lamp can really last forever as long as there is oil being poured in. I think some of you know where I'm going now. That oil is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who governs us, who guides us, who illuminates God's word for us. When we have the oil of the Holy Spirit pouring into our lamp, we will always be directed where we need to go. And more than that, right, the oil of the Holy Spirit in our lives illuminates our very lives to carry the light to a dark and dying world. See, I believe this is what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 5 that you are the light of the world. He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we begin by lighting the lamp of God's word, but we also recognize that we too are to bring that light to the world. That leads to the other application I think I see from this lamp. That ultimately, if you're using a lamp like this, you've got to draw close to those you are trying to reach. Right? Jesus doesn't use a torch here. We're not talking about a floodlight. We're talking about a light that's requiring you to get close to those you are trying to reach. I think the same should be true for our pursuit of the lost. Right? We have to be the ones to initiate. We have to be the ones to open up our homes, to open up our lives, so that the people around us will open themselves up to hearing God's truth. See, I think, family, we are so unwilling to get uncomfortable to reach the lost. We're so unwilling to, to break our plans or to do anything outside of what we're comfortable with in order to reach the lost. But I think Jesus is telling us that's exactly where it all begins. I don't think we see that with this woman. The next thing we see her do, she takes active and even disruptive action and she sweeps the house. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here because I think when we think about sweeping our house, we don't even sweep our houses anymore. Like, y'all have Roombas going around. I've been to some of your houses, right? We've got hardwood floors. Again, we've got the overhead lighting. It's a different context we're talking about here. This woman, her, her house probably would have been made of like a mix of dirt and stone. And what they would do is they would put out straw in the house just to make it a little bit more comfortable for your feet. So you can see then why losing a coin would be a little bit harder to find in their context than in ours. But clearly nothing was going to get in the way of this woman. So she goes and she grabs a broom 
and she sweeps away all that straw in order to find the coin. And what we see in this is a willingness for her to disrupt her own life in order to seek after this coin. See, Jesus isn't just painting a picture for us of an active pursuit. He's painting a picture of the selflessness and the sacrifice that's required when we seek after that which is lost. See, the reality is if you're going to join Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost, you're going to have to be willing to disrupt your own life in the process. You're going to have to be willing to mess up your own plans, to mess up your own schedule. You have to be willing to disrupt all of those things. And rather than give you some far-off example of what this looks like, I'm simply going to point you to two people who are here today who embody what this looks like. I actually don't see them here. Are Gary and Kim here still? Y'all here? Oh, there they are. Kim, would you mind standing up? I know Gary may be in the back or may be outside. Would y'all just do me a favor and honor Kim here for a moment? Thank you, Kim. Pastor Gary and Kim, for those of you who don't know, and they have disrupted their lives <laughs> quite a bit. And I may not have been there, Kim, for the 17 years uh, when you were in the mission field serving, sacrificing to seek and to save the lost, but I've been a witness to your life and to our brother Gary's life for the last few years. I just thank you for the ways that you have humbly served and welcomed, embraced those disruptions in your life. I think it's important that we recognize when there's people around us who have embodied this. There you are, Brother Gary. Would you all put your hands together for Pastor Gary? There are so many others here in our church family who have done this as well, but I wanted to point you to an example of what that looks like when you sacrifice, when you're selfless for others. I know Pastor Gary and Kim have seen countless people around the world come to know Jesus because they were willing to have their lives disrupted. So what about the rest of you? What things in your life need to be swept away so that you can more clearly see and seek after the lost around you? Because the reality is, like, listen, we live in 21st century in, like, suburban America. There are a lot of things that can clutter our lives. Some of those are good things, right? But what happens is when that clutter builds up, it keeps us from going where we need to go. It keeps us from doing what we need to do. So I want to ask you just to be honest with yourself, just for a moment, what things have you cluttered your life with that are getting in the way of the people that God has called you to? What things in your life, what commitments in your life are getting in the way of the things or the people that God has called you to? I encourage you to process through that question at home this week. And then be intentional. Get that broom out. Talk with your spouse. Talk with your roommate. Talk with a friend about what it looks like to do some sweeping. But we see that's not the final step that leads to the lost being found. We've got one more. After the woman lights the lamp, after she sweeps the house, Jesus tells us that she continues to search diligently. And I think what Jesus is describing here is this woman basically like just, she's just going all out. Right? If you've ever had done like spring cleaning at your house, this woman is taking all of her furniture. She's putting it outside. She's taking all of her knickknacks. She's got everything probably out on the street. Right? She's just going to turn this house upside down to find this coin. And I think this is when the other people start to notice. Right? This is when the neighbors start poking their head out the door like, hey, what's, what's going on over there? See, her desire and her urgency to find this coin is now being seen by others. I'm going to go ahead and let you make that connection yourself. What I want to point out is that this woman, I don't, I don't think she cares about what other people think. 
she's not ashamed because she is so dead set on finding that coin that she is not going to stop until she does. And it's in her tenacity, in her willingness to do whatever it takes that we see a reflection of Jesus. Now, I know I told you earlier that this woman represents the church, but I want you to notice that everything she did after she lost the coin reflects the intentional and relentless pursuit of Jesus. That's why I love Jesus when he, when he does this. If you look at, at, at the Greek, he uses the same exact word for her diligent pursuit of the coin as he does for his to seek and save the lost reference. It's the same exact word. See, because while you and I have a role to play in this mission, make no mistake that it is Jesus who came down. It is Jesus who lit the lamp. It is Jesus who searches and pursues every sinner in every dark and hidden place. And it's Jesus who found each one of us buried under the muck and the mire of our sin and pulled us out of it. See, without Jesus, we would still be hidden under the weight of our sin and our shame just as dead and as lifeless as that inanimate coin. See, but the good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus drew near to us, that Jesus shed the light of his truth over us, not from a distance, but by humbling himself to, humbling himself to come in the form of a servant to get down into the dirt with us, to ultimately die for us so that we might be made alive in him. See, in his grace, God made a way for each of us to be found, and that way was through the selflessness and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So what does that mean then? Well, it means that Jesus did it all, right? So if you're here this morning and you're lost, you have nothing to do but to receive the grace and the mercy of being found. You have nothing to do. Just receive the grace and the mercy and respond by surrendering your life to the one who paid it all with his. And for those of us who have been found, it means that we don't have this burden on our own. We don't carry this burden. In fact, we have really none of the pressure. We get all of the privilege of joining with Jesus in his mission to seek the lost. And what we get to do is we get to rejoice as he finds the lost ones among us. I don't want you to miss this part of the story, family. See, because as a church, we have the privilege of preparing our hearts and preparing our community to receive those that Jesus has found, to welcome them into our joyous celebration. So as I invite the band back up, now I want to just draw your attention back to verses 9 and 10. Remember, this, this story is all of three verses long. And Jesus spends two of those three verses talking about the celebration that happens after this lost coin is found. Hear these words from verses 9 and 10. It says, when she has found it, she calls together her friends, calls together her neighbors, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, in ancient times, this word rejoice it wasn't that simple. It, it actually implied that there was going to be a huge party, a huge feast, that there would be food there. And so if you're, if you're drawing the connections here, it makes you wonder, why would this woman throw a huge party over a lost coin? Right? Chances are she was going to spend more on this block party than that coin was even worth. Something here doesn't add up, family. That's where you got to ask yourself the question, what is Jesus trying to say? Here is what I think he's trying to say. 
in each of these stories of lost things, there is an extravagance, an overabundant celebration. Far beyond what any of these lost things warrants. And family, in this, we see the joy with which God welcomes and celebrates sinners. It is unfathomable. It is indescribable. That's grace. That's grace. That brings us back to the matter at hand. Remember, Jesus tells these stories in response to the Pharisees' objections to him eating with tax collectors and sinners because these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious elite, they didn't find these lost coins worthy of the dinner that Jesus was sharing with them. But Jesus says, no, they're worthy of far, far more. That they're worthy of his sacrifice. That they're worthy of a heavenly party beyond anything we could ever imagine. So if you're here this morning, if you identify with that lost coin, I want you to know God loves you. He values you more than you could ever understand. More than you deserve, certainly. So much so that he sent his son to die in your place. Listen, lost coins, you are his prized possession. There is nothing that will stand between him and you. And if you're here this morning, and if you've already been found, friends, it's time for you to light a lamp. It's time for you to look to God's word. It's time for you to pray for opportunities to reach the lost. And then it's time for you to make a mess out of your life. I truly believe if we follow what God's laid out for us, we will see more lost coins.